This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Recently, a company announced it was going to build iron air batteries in West Virginia. The batteries are not new, but this use is and could be big for the energy industry. Well, the applications are there now that really need it. You know, grid, energy storage. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Sunday's interim legislative meetings included an update on the newest additions to the state's educational system. Chris Schultz has more. State Deputy Superintendent Michelle Blatt presented a report to the Legislative Oversight Committee on Educational Accountability on the state's new public charter schools. Established in 2021 by House Bill 2012, West Virginia's first four charter schools opened this past fall. Platt says the Department of Education has worked to support the new schools, which all constitute their own local education agency. So if they want to work with a local county to provide transportation or child nutrition, then they have to pay for those services to the county. We've, we've worked through really Jefferson County and Mon County to make sure that everything is working together the way that it should. There are currently brick-and-mortar charter schools in Morgantown and Kernsville, as well as two virtual charter schools with a third brick-and-mortar charter set to open next fall. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. A report on managed timber in West Virginia led to questions about carbon offset land and what we need to know about it. Eric Douglas has more. The Legislative Post Audits Committee learned Sunday about the outdated way managed timberland is handled between the state tax department and the forestry department. That report led to questions from Senate President Craig Blair about how the state is handling carbon offset lands and if the state was even tracking that information. He found out the state forestry department has just begun recording the data. That's why I was asking a year and a half ago for us to be getting that information so that we can manage it before it gets out of hand. Carbon offset land is property the landowner agrees to keep undisturbed to offset carbon pollution elsewhere, likely out of state. The landowner is paid for that use. The state forestry department has about 4,000 applications that now include a checkbox to indicate if the land is used for carbon offset. A representative from the forestry department promised to have the information to Blair in two weeks. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Eric Douglas in Charleston. Economic development in West Virginia's rural areas is creating a need for employee housing. Randy Yowie reports on the challenge. Timberline Mountain Ski Resort General Manager Thomas Price made a presentation Sunday before the Legislative Joint Commission on Economic Development. Price said with state support, the Indiana Corporation that purchased the bankrupt Tucker County property three years ago has made upwards of $15 million in capital improvements and has an in-season workforce of 250. He said there's a challenge for his employees to find affordable housing. Price said completing the Corridor H project will prime area growth and housing availability. It's going to be one of the keys to making some of the towns like Elkins um, or even Buckhannon right into our back door. And I think that could really fix a lot of the housing issues. Price said Timberline's parent company, Perfect North Slopes, is interested in managing or consolidating with the neighboring Canaan Valley Resort. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie. Huntington native and zine writer Elliot Stewart writes Porch Beers, an incisive look at Appalachian culture, pop fandom, and West Virginia food. Inside Appalachia's host Mason Adams spoke with Elliot Stewart about his zine. 
And so tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is this person that makes porch beers? I guess kind of born and bred West Virginian, uh, moved a lot around a lot as a kid. Um, we lived with my grandparents who were ministers and uh, moved about every three to four years uh, to different parts of the state. So um, I feel like that wanderlust has always kind of been in me. And uh, one of my ways getting it out and recording memories is uh, – just writing you know that's always uh, my grandma has little booklets I've made when I was like five or six that were kind of maybe my first zines and it's a good way to be kind of front and center about like a lot of like intersecting identities that I have um, that I feel a lot of people come up to me and say that I'm like the first person from like x group that they've ever met and I don't know that's kind of cool it has a lot of responsibility to it but it's kind of cool and everybody that comes in my house, um, when they see these zines, they always wonder about the name. Tell us about the name Porch Beers. Sure. That was uh, a tradition in Huntington and maybe I'm sure elsewhere too, like where you have a porch. Um, but Huntington is a small-knit community to where everybody knows everybody pretty much. And, you know, you can go by somebody's house there on their porch. Hey, do you want a porch beer? Yeah. So you sit down, you have a talk. Uh, could be about nothing. Could be about, like, very important heart-to-heart -heart stuff. Uh, but that's just kind of like a hallmark of Huntington Summers, and I wanted uh, what I did to reflect that. So I read through these five issues. They're on specific topics, whether it's pro wrestling or the Ben Folds Five or West Virginia food. But there's there's a larger story arc here too. I mean, you can, I, I can read growth in these zines. Um, you moved from Huntington to Chattanooga and back. When you read back these zines, what is the story of Porch Spears to you so far? I do go back and read them at times, and sometimes I do kind of. It is a little painful to read some of the early stuff just because I have changed so much as a person, but. I'm glad I have a record of it, that it, these things happen. And honestly, you know, it's, I think, valuable to get stories of growth out there because not a lot of people record kind of the minutia of life in Appalachia or in, like, the various kind of sub-communities I'm in. Porch Beers tracks this geographic shift, but it also documents sort of a different kind of transition. Can you share a little bit more about that? I am an out transgender man. Um, I have been out since, in in one form or another, um, as trans since about like 2018, and just slowly began uh, socially transitioning and then medically transitioning. Um, also uh, considered myself queer. Um, as uh, my my orientation, it's it's been an interesting experience with that. Um, you know, a lot of learning curve. Sometimes people, when they find out, will have like. I like to assume that most people are in good faith when they ask questions, but sometimes they can be very awkward or a little hurtful. Uh, but I try to take it in stride. You know, like. Like specific medical questions or things like, you know, and if I don't feel comfortable, I'm at least to the point now where I'm like, hey, that's kind of a weird thing to be asking me, yo. <laughs> a lot of times I'm the first trans person that someone 
has knowingly met. Uh, and that is wild to me sometimes. That was part of a recent episode of Inside Appalachia. You can hear more of that story on our website at wvpublic.org. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. Chance of snow and freezing rain this morning in the eastern mountains. Decreasing cloudiness today with highs in the 30s and 40s. Partly cloudy overnight with lows in the 20s. And cloudy tomorrow with highs in the 40s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. Massachusetts-based Form Energy announced in December that it would begin building storage batteries in West Virginia. Hallie Cheeseman is Program Director for the U.S. Department of Energy's Advanced Research Projects Agency. He's been involved in the research and development of battery technology for more than 40 years. He has experience working with the now familiar lithium-ion battery, as well as the newer iron oxide battery form energy will build. Cheeseman spoke with Curtis Tate about those two types of batteries and how they're used. What are the origins of this battery technology? So people have you know, tried to do iron in before. Um, if you go back to the 70s, which was just after the oil crisis, everybody got excited about electric vehicles although there was no lithium back then to, to, to uh, even think about. And so Iron Air was one of the solutions that people looked at. So um, Westinghouse, um, Swedish Development Agency, for example, both um, had fairly involved programs to get Iron Air working for electric vehicles, where it's pretty heavy and therefore not the best battery system for something that's going to be moving. Uh, when we talk about Iron Air, Regarding form energy, we're talking about grid energy storage, where once you sit it down, it's not going to move, and the weight and even the size is, is a lot less important. So one of the things that's changed regarding iron air as a possibility is, well, the applications are there now that really need it. You know, grid energy storage, you've probably seen there's a great, some great videos on YouTube that talk about it. You know, okay, to get the best out of wind and solar, we need to store the energy when we don't can't actually use the wind or solar energy that's being produced. Do these batteries have any disadvantages? Uh, one of the downsides is that uh, what, what I call the round-trip efficiency isn't, isn't great. So if I put one unit of energy in, I only get half a unit of energy out. The rest gets wasted as inefficiency. And that's bad. But it's not bad if the electricity is really cheap. And the electricity really is cheap if you've got solar and wind and you don't know what to do with them. Your alternative is you just waste it. <laughs> so 
So a lot of these long duration energy storage technologies and, and form energy is one of them, just one of them, um, rely on the fact that they're going to charge themselves up when the electricity is really cheap, maybe even free, um, and then they're going to be there available when you know we have issues that we've seen in our country as weather events, whether it be heat waves or deep freezes, whatever it is, when those things come and suddenly we need a lot more energy that we didn't expect we were going to need. How does this technology compare to lithium-ion batteries, especially on cost? But, you know, from the get-go, you know, when, when lithium-ion came out in 1991, if you tried to put it into an electric vehicle then, which you could have done, it would have cost you like $250,000 in a vehicle. <laughs> and today I've got a Chevy Bolt, you know, and the battery in there is probably $10,000, right? <laughs> so $300,000 to $10,000, you know, and that's, that's happened over years as the people making lithium-ion have got better at it and we've made bigger factories and we've um, improved efficiencies and all that other good things that manufacturing operations do given time um, and volume, volume too. So, you know, you should consider what Form Energy are putting in West Virginia as a starting point. And, uh, you know, they will put something in, make sure it's stable, make sure they've got markets for it. And then they'll be looking for ways to improve and to reduce the wastage and do those other good things that we all do in the battery business. Is there a need for both kinds of batteries to be used to support the grid? There's no reason why you can't use it in conjunction with um, lithium-ion. So um, the, the form energy technology is, I think they talk about it's like 24 to 100 hours. But what happens if you need the battery to give its energy in two hours? Well, iron air is not going to be good for that. That's where lithium-ion is almost certainly the better solution. So, you know, we don't have to be limited and say it has to be lithium or it has to be iron air. We'll see combinations, right, where the short duration stuff of a few hours gets done by the lithium, but the long duration stuff gets done by the iron air, for example. So, um, so it's like I said some time ago, you know, it's we're going to need multiple solutions <laughs> to meet our future energy needs. Oh, but some of those solutions will hybridize together to give us the best of both worlds in some cases. That was Hallie Cheeseman, Program Director for ARPA-E, the U.S. Department of Energy's Advanced Research Projects Agency, speaking with Curtis Tate about batteries. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <laughs>